0: If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and key stage one education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 65 of the Early Excellence podcast, um, which also, of course, happens to be the first episode of the summer term. We hope you had a really lovely break over Easter and have come back refreshed and ready to go. Um, This week, I'm joined on the podcast by my colleague, Matthew Sayer, who you may well know is one of our curriculum consultants here at Early Excellence. As part of our discussion, we talked specifically about boys learning in the EYFS. So lots to talk about, lots to really get you thinking here, I think. So here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with Matthew Sayer. So yeah, so welcome to the podcast. I don't know how much you listen normally to the the kind of the different ways that we interview people. Normally what I do is I get people to do a bit of an introduction, so a, a kind of a quick overview, kind of who you are, you know, what you do for early excellence, all of those sorts of things. You are one of the longest serving members of the team, the curriculum team, are you not? If not the longest serving member. Yeah, I think I am, yeah. So, yeah, so, well, um, yeah
1: so i've been with early excellence for oh well thank you for having me on the podcast first of all andy um oh. i've been with early excellence for i think 11 years now um and uh yeah, very much enjoyed my time with early excellence done the whole did all sorts of things even driven a van uh, with early excellence in the early days um that didn't go so well so i didn't do it again um. um uh, but prior to that, I was an early years advisor in Kent, uh, so a local authority advisor, did that three years in the days of education, 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 when there was new publications coming out from the DCSF, I think they were called in those days. Um, and then prior to that, I taught nursery schools, reception classes across um, southeast England in Kent mostly, and um, southeast London. Um, so, yeah, I've been in early childhood education all my career, really, so from 1995, maybe? That sounds about right. To, uh, to
0: yeah. Now. Yeah. So, um, Very good. And uh, one wife, three children. Very good. Well, that's going on for 30 years in, in early childhood education. That's that's pretty good going, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
0: I think so. <laughs> right, so we we'll, we better crack on. In terms of this week, then, um, we were talking about the certain uh, the sorts of things that i think people would be really interested in to to think about at the moment and over the last couple of weeks there was there was something that that happened on training where i was chatting to some people on training that made me think oh we must do a podcast episode on it and what it was was one of my my pet hates phrases came up and it was i was talking to somebody and i said so Um, How are you getting on? How's the school year going? All of those sorts of conversations. And uh, they said, um, oh, it's going all right, but we're having quite a difficult year. And then they kind of rolled their eyes and they said, "Um, we've got a a really boy-heavy year. And they did this kind of rolling their eyes. It's it's a kind of um, really boy-heavy year. And it's that kind of look that was as if to say, you know what it's like, you know, that kind of thing. And it it struck me that we never talk about boys positively. You know, that sort of we we talk about boys in terms of when there's a challenge, when it's hard. People don't say, oh, I've got a boy heavy year and and go, which is brilliant. People go, I've got a boy heavy year, as in it's incredibly challenging. And, and I understand that to a point. You no, know, I do, you know, I, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of come on to talk about this sort of later on. I do, I do get the idea that actually it can be difficult at times when you've got lots of boys within, within your, your cohort, within your classroom, and that the needs of boys sometimes are, are different to what we're trying to do with those boys, you know, and, and that actually that can make it difficult. However, I do think we've got to really be positive about the fact that we've got boys within the room and boys within the group, because actually children pick up on things like that, even if we're not saying it. children pick up on it, I think, yeah really. surely, yeah, so I just wondered if you have you heard that you know is that a phrase you've kind of come into contact with?
1: yeah, I think it's quite a common refrain, isn't it if um you know if you've got a lot of boys in your class, you hear it, you hear it a lot and um and as you're saying it's not often in the most positive way so it's not often that people say oh, i've got a boy heavy class yay or i'm really pleased that i've got a, pos- a boy heavy class again i had one last year tremendous i was really looking forward to doing it all again um it's not, it's just not the way we talk about it is it um so yeah it's a bit somehow we just need to kind of shift the narrative of it don't we i think and um you know just change our maybe you know, just adjust our expectations or um, learn to love those boys a little bit more, no matter how many there are in your class. And I'm not saying, I'm sure people do, and um, and it's, of course, like you're saying, it's not everybody, and you can understand, yeah, there's all sorts of pressures, aren't there, um, in primary schools and um, across the piece at the moment. So, um, But yes, no, I do hear it. Um, I think it's, it, you know, it's relatively common, actually, isn't it? I think it's not something that surprises you, it's something that you kind of go, oh, yeah, I've heard that, and I've heard that before, and I heard that the week before, and um, so it's not uncommon. So uh,
0: it's obviously a thing, isn't it? It is a thing. Yeah, definitely. And and I, th- I thought we'd actually start off with the kind of the anecdotal stuff that we bring to this. And that is we're both parents. You know, I'm I, um, we're both I'm boys. dad of three, three boys. You've got uh, three children, two of which are boys. So I thought we'd bring a bit of the anecdotal stuff to this, first of all. Yeah. Um, and that is that of course sometimes having boys actually can be hard but it tends to be usually in my experience as a dad it tends to be when they're usually in the wrong scenario if we if we as parents have made the wrong decision about where we're going actually then that's at the boys often will tell will show you through what they're doing that actually this really was. A bad decision, mm-hmm. and the, the one the one bit that the one memory that stands out when I was thinking about this is years ago we um, when the boys were really young, so they're all teenagers now, big teenagers. But when they were, um, I'm trying to think how old they would be six, something like six, four, and two, roughly in terms of age ranges. Maybe maybe even a little bit younger. We decided one Christmas to to pay to go on a Santa Express, which sounded like the best thing you've ever heard of. Santa this, Express, this, you say? Santa Express train journey in the in the North Yorkshire moors. And it sounded it, we just read it and we thought, oh, that would be great. And we paid to go on it. And we basically it was a, a kind of a steam train with a carriage, you know, or a series of carriages. We got on. And we sat on one side of a carriage, and next to us, there was uh, a mum and a dad and a little girl. And it just almost as soon as we got on and sat down, I thought, this is going to be a nightmare. <laughs> 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 because was it was a, a in The Centre Express. It was a confined space. We waited for like I don't know. It was like a long journey, so it was like two hours before the boys actually got to see Father Christmas. Father Christmas, we we got to our turn, and eventually they walked down to see Father Christmas. But we'd uh, by that point we'd had two hours in a confined space with the boys,
1: <laughs>
0: and the the differences at that point between what the boys were doing, my boys were doing, our boys. And what, and what the little girl in the carriage, the other the, next to us was doing, couldn't have been more different. You know, there so, you was know, like our boys were kind of starting to sort of shove each other within about 10 minutes. They, was, they were kind of, you could tell that actually being in a confined space, they just needed to move. And the yeah. excitement of seeing Father Christmas at some time as well kind of pushed them over the edge. And so I, I don't wonder, know I this is down to the parenting here, Andy, as well. It's is the it? parenting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but you see what I mean? That actually, yeah. I think in situations like that, you can see the differences between the boys yeah, sure. and the girls. I think. Yeah, basically. I just, is, um,
1: so well we did something completely very similar, but uh, have, but it worked for us because of um, Jacob's passion at that time for trains and Thomas the Tank Engine. So. Pretty similar experiences. So a lot of train, but because it was linked for Jacob to Thomas the Tank Engine, and I don't know if you've been on them, but they they kind of used to tour the country. I don't know if they still do. This was like 15, 16 years ago now. And there's one quite local to us, and they kind of visit and they come to the smaller train stations. And there's um people that all kind of dress up as the fat controller and um, all the characters from it, which I can't remember now because a little while ago. Um, but uh, Jacob absolutely loved it um because it was it was kind of led by his particular fascination at that time so kind of um and i think that's really actually quite important for us um day to day with our young boys that one of the things that sometimes i think get, can get squeezed in our reception classes and nursery classes is time for children's particular fascinations and interests because of all the other pressures um but i think boys particularly are more uh uh, feel that more if those kind of things are squeezed and it can potentially, a harmful is a strong word, but it, um, they don't respond as well if their interests aren't, as, aren't kind of followed in the same kind of way or responded to or recognised. Um, so two kind of similar experiences, one really quite successful, <laughs> I think one saying it's not that successful, but I think maybe the main difference was that uh, and more by luck than judgment, we had kind of really tapped into Jake's fascination, and he loved it. Um, maybe your boy's not so fascinated in the, what was it called, the Santa's Express. The Santa's, the Santa's um, Express. Um, so yeah, but he was like, he was just enthralled by it all, so, and he was young, so he was like only, you know, he was four or five reception sort of age, so... Uh, yeah yeah. So, yeah well that's probably just very good
0: parenting probably, well yeah I think
1: a lot of that <laughs> but I think <laughs> I think there is a genuine thing about boy you know we need to particularly for boys uh, there's a thing about their fascinations that we need to be aware of and kind of tap into and give them time to explore those and respond to them and feel mm. and they need to feel that we recognise them and we're responding to them um, and I think that's kind of um, even more powerful for boys I'm not saying it's not important for girls Um, mm. um maybe girls or at least girls are more yeah. able to kind of bend and sway to the to kind of what we offer uh, whereas boys yeah. find that a bit more difficult
0: yeah 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 and, it, and and once you go into that sort of further as well obviously those two examples were anecdotal um you know those sorts of kind of stories that I'm sure every parent has got of their you know of, of things that they've thought that actually went well or didn't go well or think you know things that you think oh well, we should go you know why did we do that kind of thing? Um, in terms of the boy girl kind of thing, um, it's not just about the anecdotal stuff, is it? That actually there's theres there's been quite a lot written about the differences and it is quite interesting to read up on in that, that there are some hints towards there being differences between boys and girls in terms of parts of the brain and the bits of the brain that kind of link up and connect up and so on. But at the same time, what muddies the water is the, the kind of nature-nurture side of it as well, in that there's often quite a difference in terms of expectations between what we, what we, I suppose, expect boys to do or expect boys to be interested in or to, to want to do. And similarly, for girls, That there's often quite a difference um and even down to sort of things like it's not quite so much of an issue at the minute, I don't think, but certainly in the past it's been a much bigger issue, and there's certainly still an issue there, but things like the clothes that boys and girls wear and the boys the, the clothes that are available that are marketed at at parents of boys or parents of girls or both that where actually the you know. Certainly in the past that we've you know, children would come into a setting, into nursery settings. I can think of children that I've taught that would wear a t-shirt that would say something like Here Comes Trouble on it.
1: You know, a boy would walk
0: in with it, but a t-shirt that said it would say, Here comes trouble. And you think, Crikey, you know, that's that's really not great, is it? Whereas meanwhile, a little girl would walk into nursery with a, um, I'm a little princess. Yeah. yeah. T-shirt or something like that on it. Uh, And it's we do, I think, quite early on, even without meaning to, I think we get into certain roles, really, in terms of boys and girls.
1: Yeah, I was saying to you a little bit earlier, wasn't I, about the, um when I first started for early excellence, I was lucky enough to attend uh, one of our conferences and there was uh, Lise Elliot who was speaking at the conference and she'd just written a book, or published a book, uh, of her research into this very kind of topic and um, called Pink Brain Blue Brain. And um, the main kind of message I kind of took away from it is kind of uh, uh, what you're kind of alluding to, which is whilst there are kind of differences between young girls' brains and boys' brains. They're quite minimal, so there's there's more similarities than there are differences. But there are differences, and one of the main differences, I think, is around how the two sides of the brain link up and girls' brains link up more quickly than boys' brains, which kind of then lends them to be able to... do. Um, it's kind of that the language side of things is in advance of boys' for girls. Um, but um, what tends to happen then is those minor... Differences uh, are then kind of accentuated or kind of built upon by society and parents, and you kind of feed things that have become almost like your um, stereotypical things. So you feed that kind of boys are more physical, girls are more sedentary, boys are a bit more daredevil, um, girls are a bit more caring, um, and those those things are kind of built up and built up and built up, and the kind of t-shirts as you describe them. Um, kind of do feed into that kind of same narrative so it's um so then the nurture bit um exacerbates the small um differences that nature has offered um i think that was the kind of main thrust of at least only it's kind of argument i think so um what i think that then sort of the conclusion really is wouldn't it be better if we could kind of focus on, rather than kind of um, being led by those things that are the stereotypical things and building on those, um, acknowledge the elements of um, boys' development that potentially um, could be responded to and need extra work and vice versa for girls. So don't don't focus on the things that are the, the, the minimal things and accentuate those. Let's look at the things where um, boys are, uh, there's that kind of um, slight difference, whereas there's a... Um, uh, that like for, for boys for example the, the kind of language bit um, that's the bit we should focus on rather than the pouring it all into aren't they daredevil-y aren't they um, uh, risk takers so let's kind of talk to boys more let's kind of you know talk about emotions more with boys and build that side up um, well yes encouraging the other side but what tends to happen is we kind of go all in on the, the small differences um, and that ends up exacerbating it, accentuating it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You kind of then get an uneven picture, actually, in terms of development because of the things that we focus in on, I think. Yeah. Um, interestingly, you know, when we look at the, the kind of the national picture. So at the end of the EYFS, of course, you get the um, we've been looking at the good level of development. So um, in terms of those early learning goals and the good level of development, that statutory assessment at the end of reception, um, what tends to happen kind of year on year, and it is very much a kind of a year on year picture, is that nationally, it's often the areas of learning where that are, that are particularly, I mean, it's all linked to language, isn't it? But the particular, particular areas are very closely linked to language development are the areas for boys that tend to be lower considerably lower for boys than for girls they're yeah so you get sort of cll you know uh so no, so, no sorry c c and l communication yeah. and language you get um a lot of the literacy skills uh, as well tends to be tends to be lower as well with boys year on year rather than girls uh sometimes mathematics as well quite often that is something that's lower than lower in terms of boys compared to girls as well. You get a rate, you get a rate, those sorts of bigger when you look at the bigger picture, you get a certain pattern that happens year on year. Yeah. And I think that fits with what you were just saying, that actually if we focus more on on kind of where the gaps are to a certain extent in terms of boys development, that actually we might not get that. Yeah, don't yeah I don't think so. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And that's certainly what I what
1: I took from the, mm. you know, the conference speech. At least Elliot did. And looking at most recent research, that seems to be um, what would benefit um, both boys and uh, girls.
0: Yeah, and also the PSED side of things. That yeah. Often that tends to be lower. Yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly, the it's 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 usually not the physical development. Well, certainly not the gross motor movement often yeah. in terms of boys we've got lots of examples of when they've been moving in a big way and exploring in a big way yeah uh, often we don't we do, it's not necessarily that that is the issue it's the it's kind of the other stuff really yeah where there tends to be a bit of a gap yeah,
1: yeah. i suppose it's, it's definitely it's a careful balance isn't it because a uh, uh, you kind of drawn to the things that you feel good at, and you know doing those things and becoming better at those things, and have opportunities to kind of explore those things that you feel good at uh, can be powerful then, and have a good knock-on effect for the rest of your learning. So you get lots of opportunities to explore your interests, and if it's your physicality uh, that that feels like that's in advance of other things, um, then that could be f- good for your whole self-esteem, and then has powerful knock-on effect for um, the rest of your learning. I can remember Jan White used to talk about at a conference; she kind of gave the example of a boy that she witnessed or observed in a nursery school and uh, indoors he was kind of quiet and kind of struggled and um didn't say very much but when he moved outdoors he was kind of he was kind of bigger and stronger and they had quite a lot of forest school work and he was he was able to drag things around and help children with heavy stuff and um help them build things because he had that extra kind of power and um she he, he kind of saw a completely different side to him outside and children then started to kind of see him in a different light and see him as somebody who could be helpful who was good to know who would be a useful (laughs) friend kind of so to speak Um, but that gave him a great big boost um, and then had a powerful knock on effect for all those things that you'd also like him to kind of be engaged with um, inside as well and I think that's kind of you know that you could you know use that uh, that could kind of work across for all um, children but particularly those kind of boys as well who um, yeah. But it's, it's kind yeah of, so it's kind of everything in balance, isn't it? Yes, we want to kind of work on those things um, that um, don't come quite so naturally, but um, yes, allow children to kind of um, show where their kind of strengths are and get um, um, good, you know, and, um, and boost their kind of self
0: esteem through that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, I suppose it's that kind of holistic picture, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of seeing that actually the interconnectedness of, of all of those different areas of learning. And I think sometimes, sometimes what happens is, is that in terms of that, that data that we've just talked about, that national data, one of the things I often wonder about with it is whether, whether, first of all, whether it's affected by what we value, and secondly, whether it's affected by what we see so the first thing is it strikes me that quite often the things that boys are good at are often also the areas of our practice that we don't value quite as much. So, for example, you know, if we were talking, I mean, this is a generalization, but it is often the case that, that actually boys will really enjoy being outside and they will really enjoy the big physical movement of being outside and the physical challenge but if we compare inside practice to outside practice what gets the most attention what's valued the most out of those two areas of our practice and i think it, without doubt it's inside you know if you if you were to talk to a teacher in early september or just a week before the schools start what are we spending our time doing at that time we're spending our time getting our classroom ready our indoor space ready and we're spending pretty much the whole time getting that indoor space ready. That is our focus. How much time gets spent on really making sure the outdoors is ready. It's, I would say it's a small proportion of the time. And I, I think that, that actually the way that we go about indoor and outdoor practice is very different. And it, it, and and I'm talking about the amount of time or the amount of value that we put on it. And they should be different. We're talking about different things, but it, it, It doesn't seem to me that there's a level, there's a kind of a level playing field between indoor practice and outdoor practice. Inside, we organize things really well in terms of children accessing resources, children knowing where things are, children being able to come back to things. Generally speaking, we organize things in order that there is a level of independence and that there's a a degree of self-esteem because things are where they should be. You know, we know what we're coming into outside that's often not the case you know an area that actually boys can thrive within is an area that is often less valued that actually it's often not that we know what we're coming into but that actually adults will be getting things out and sometimes different things on different days and so you kind of don't quite know whether you can carry on with something that you did yesterday or not and I just feel that sometimes there's there's quite a difference there in terms of which could well impact on the whole boy-girl thing yeah, yeah. in terms of attainment at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, outdoors has got a really important place to, to play in boys uh, development. I mean, girls development as well. I think I was saying to you just yesterday that I'm sure you have, to have the same experience. When you see um, outdoor areas opened up and that kind of free-flow access, um, more often than not, but not always, um, you'll see uh, many more boys accessing it immediately Um, Than girls often. Um, And like I say, not all boys, not all girls. But you can often just have a quick scan around, and you can see the the entire outdoor area is populated um, more by that kind of boy-heavy look um, than girls. So you can see there's a you can see there's a need, there's a need there, isn't there? A lot of what we talk about early accents, isn't it? That we kind of, we need to respond to and acknowledge children's natural desires. And lots of um, certainly, girls boys have that natural desire to move and be active and get outside and um, do those things on a larger, more physical. Um, in a more on a more physical kind of plane so um, mm. yeah as well yeah. this to me in mind of um, there's a short paper that Lillian Katz wrote and she talks about the difference between or she kind of compares academic learning and intellectual learning um, and one of the things she talks about was she talks about Intellectual learning is those kind of problem solving skills, those kind of collaborative, cooperative type things that outdoors lends itself to. Um, mm. And we don't always, she would argue, we don't always prioritize those or value those in the same way as we do the kind of a- academic side of things. And we're doing mm. some ser- some children, particularly boys, um, a disservice if we don't kind of value them both. Um, because we, we often look to we kind of, you know, high-fiving and fist-pumping each other when children come into our classrooms, being able to read and write already, write your name and we say, high-five. Um, but being able to kind of collaborate and climb a tree, it's like, well, not so much. Um, but uh, actually, in the end, potentially, those kind of collaborative, particularly collaborative, cooperative, you know, creative thinking, those kind of things that are linked to our characteristics of effective learning um, are kind of really important Um um, kind of factors in children's learning, and you know, they're actually some of those kind of skills. That there's lots of evidence um, that suggests they're the ones that set children up really well to go on and be successful learners later in life.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, so yeah, I, I wonder, I do wonder whether whether first of all we value the sorts of things that that boys do value, yeah, and that actually mm-hmm. that could have a potentially could have a knock on effect for attainment at the end of reception. Yeah. But also, I do wonder also whether when we're talking about outdoor learning, whether we see it in terms of the holistic nature of what's happening when boys are playing outdoors. So and the reason I think that is that, is that sometimes I, I, it feels a bit like we see the more obvious things. So when boys are playing outdoors and they're lifting, they're carrying, they're transporting, or children generally are playing outdoors, but as we say, it is often they're, they're, it is often boys who are drawn towards it, that that we will see sometimes we get a bit blinkered and we see the physical and we, we say, right, what is that? And that is, oh, I saw these children, and they were doing this and they were so good at, at, at lifting, carrying, you know, and balancing and working as a team and they were being really physical. And they were. Definitely, but what else was there? Sometimes I think we stop at the first thing we see and don't think beyond it. And it's those other things that actually mean that actually we, we broaden our knowledge of what the children can do. So it might be that actually within it there was storytelling or within it there was there were opportunities for lots of talk, but we sometimes miss that because we're focusing in on the physical. Yeah, yeah. Do you see what I mean? So, uh, there's part of me that wonders whether actually the data is skewed by what we see when we just if if we are just blinkered, whether actually that data is skewed by just seeing certain aspects ahead of other things. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly possible. Yeah. It's certainly possible. Um, the other thing that we were going to talk about in re- in relation to this is is that idea of, in terms of that data, so a, kind of a, each year, you know, I mentioned earlier on, that actually each year you tend to see the same picture, don't yeah. you? And, uh, in terms, and it becomes very predictable, doesn't it? That actually at the, end of the, at the end of the EYFS, at the end of reception, this is what you're likely to see. Yeah. And every year we tend to then have this sort of big unpicking of that data
1: Yeah,
0: in terms of the gap between boys' attainment, girls' attainment, particularly around CLL and reading, writing. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of that, don't we? And then each year we say, "Oh, crikey, that's happened." Yeah, we need to have a focus on the boys. Boys We need to be doing this. Yeah, and I, in when I was chatting to you just you know a week or so ago about this, you had a really interesting kind of viewpoint on it that kind of idea of of the data
1: yeah 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 no I think we were talking about um, as you say talking about the data and thinking maybe what we need because I've been as you said um, I've been in uh, early childhood education for quite a while now and when I was an er early years advisor in Kent we were kind of training on you know boys writing boys reading boys learning Um, and in the end it makes you start to think if the data keeps telling us that this is what boys are doing not all boys but most boys um maybe uh, this is what boys can do and what boys are showing us is, is where they kind of tend to be um and um i think the conversation we were having if i remember uh, was about maybe we need to stop not worrying um but maybe need to stop looking at that in the same kind of way and think actually what boys are telling us is that this is maybe what the where we're asking them Um, the levels we're asking them to reach attainment-wise are not pitched quite right for too many boys. Um, And because, like I was saying, we've done all sorts, I think there's been all sorts of research, there's been books published, uh, there's been training delivered about how do we get boys to write, how do we get boys to read, how do we get them to um, kind of catch up, narrow that gap um, with the girls. And it feels like we've been doing it for 20, 30 years. Um, yet every single year we get to the same point. And as you say, we look at the day to think, oh, um, there's a gap between boys' attainment and um, girls' attainment. Um, and maybe we need, we need to just kind of go call a stop to it and say, uh, this is how it is. Um, uh, it, um, and uh, yes, of course we want boys to be um, as, as successful as they possibly can be. Um, but the other thing we were talking about, actually, once you get beyond boys in the foundation stage and you look at society it's funny how the, the narrative shifts so all the way through early years we've got this kind of narrative around um we need to look after our boys our boys aren't being as successful as they should be And then you look at the rest of society and there's a kind of narrative around but there's the gender pay gap or um women aren't getting there's like glass ceilings and um you kind of think well boys end up doing okay and I know it's not all boys I know that um, there's the you know there's um, some kind of societal issues around um, who is successful and who achieves um, depending on your um, take on success but um, boys and men tend to end up doing okay you kind of think and then it so the kind of narrative shifts, isn't it to It's women that we need to it's girls that we need to kind of be worrying about. Mm -hmm. So it just makes me think, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong or this is the answer, but it does make me think sometimes maybe we spend too much time thinking about uh, these boys and actually maybe it's fine maybe this is where they are maybe if we do the right things and, um, and offer them the right kind of experiences uh, they will they will go on and be successful and maybe we need to stop worrying about that um, CLL gap and look at all the, the kind of positive things that boys are doing um, and all those kind of positive attributes and all the positive things that they bring to our early years um, classrooms and, and stop kind of focusing quite so much on that CLL bit, and maybe it's just one of those. Nat- it's just the the nature of things that this is this is how it is. Because we've been trying for thirty years, it seems to me, to kind of do something supposedly different to narrow this gap. Yet the gap pretty much seems to remain.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does always make me laugh. Really, no, actually, no. That's the wrong phrase to use. It, it always it always sort of intrigues me um, that that we talk about kind of expected and kind of below expected. So, you know, boys boys be- were below the expected standard again, year after year after year after year, they're below expected. And like you say, I think at some point you have to say, well, actually, that's, Maybe that's, that's not really below expected. <laughs> it's, Maybe it's us it's that's got the expectations cool. wrong about where these boys should be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's actually just expected. Yeah, and I, I, you kind of feel like at some point we have to change that, change the goalposts a little bit, and say, well, move, move the goalposts a little bit, and say, well, actually, it's this is expected now. Yeah, you know we, it is. However many years that we've been doing it, it's just expected. Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah, I'm kind of, I'm
1: kind of with you. and, and, and in no way would have, you. You're always be saying, of course, you're always looking to kind of improve things and think about are there things that we could tweak and yeah. adjust and. Um, maybe there are things that we can uh, we can do to kind of support these children um, in a different way. But it just feels like this conversation has been going on for so long now. Maybe we need to just kind of take take a step away from it and think: um, Is it what we're doing? Is it the boys, or is it as you say, these boys are doing what we should expect of them?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, I mean, you said all that.
1: I think Not. I think we talked about within this conversation. I think there is a um, there's a conversation to be had about. Um, I think boys can be the can like the canary in the coal mine. So I think, mm-hmm. uh, and there is a lot of research, that boys are um, more likely to kind of feel it if the practice and the provision um, isn't what you might call developmentally appropriate. Um, I think there is a sense sometimes that because of the nature of how young girls' brains develop, they're more able to kind of flex and bend to whatever is offered uh, in the, mm-hmm. their early years' classrooms. Uh, whereas boys, you know, if you... Um, if you do kind of follow the guidance in the EYFS and do it kind of almost like to the letter, um, mm-hmm. then um, boys will be fine. Um, but I think there's, there's kind of those pressures that there's kind of to become too formal too soon kind of thing, or there's too much of that kind of sitting sedentary type experiences, uh, which girls can flex and bend to a little bit more. Not all girls, not all boys, um, but um, boys are kind of that canary in the coal mine. So if the practice in the prison isn't quite up to scratch or however you might think of it. It's the boys that um, potentially suffer more than the girls, maybe? If suffer, I'm not sure. Yeah, if yeah, no, I think you're right. Word, it? But, um, find it more difficult to kind of, I mean, Lee can uses the word damaging, so she says that kind of more, kind of mm. too much formal instruction too soon can um, be more damaging to young boys and
0: yeah, young yeah. girls. Yeah, which kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it? It brings us right back to the boy-heavy idea that actually that shouldn't be a negative you know, it really shouldn't be a negative. If you have got lots of boys within the group, it tends to end up feeling like a negative because the boys are the canary in the coal mine or the litmus test of practice. If something isn't working, it will be the boys that will show you that it's not working. Yeah. And if you have got a boy-heavy group and that group of boys, that larger group of boys are showing you that it's not working, that then it then becomes an issue. It becomes very difficult. Yeah. But actually you know if we turn it on its head the boys are showing you actually what they need that's they're exploring they're telling you what it is that they they really need the practice to be like and where possible and i yeah like you say it's it's hard because there are lots of pressures but where possible we really do need to meet those needs i think
1: yeah i think we just have to be sensitive to both the kind of you know boys you know boys needs and our expectations of them um and that, uh, yeah, because I think I told you the story I didn't of my um, three children um, watching um, Total Wipeout, yeah. So um, at the time, my children were like two, two, four, and five. Um, so Joe, my youngest, was two. Maisie, my daughter, was three or four. Jacob was five or six. And we all sat watching uh, Total Wipeout 4T. And um, Maisie was uh, just lay on her belly all the way through watching Total Wipeout. Didn't move, didn't twitch. Looked completely focused. Um, Jacob, the eldest, was sitting. Um, I'm sorry, this is a bit disgusting, but he was—he just used to pick his toes all the time. So it's picking away, fidgeting away, um, the sort of thing that'd be really annoying if you're trying to do some kind of whole group task uh, with your, your reception class. Um, complete fidget. Um, and Joe, who was two at the time, in his pajamas kind of, uh, and I videoed it at the time. I don't know why I was videoing, but I just did. And uh, he came came leaping at one point, um, jumped around on the sofa, uh, ostensibly watching it, um, but he seemed to be doing other things. Um, And then he kind of, he seemed kind of leap out, come back with a um, sword and a helmet on his head and he's leaping around in the (laughs) sitting room whilst Maisie is laying um, perfectly still, Jacob picking away. Um, So, uh, total wipeout finishes, and um, we all sit down for tea. And we're just kind of chatting about the program and how much we'd enjoyed it. Did we enjoy it or didn't we enjoy it? And um, uh, given the different, so like Joe, youngest to. Maisie three, four, Jacob five, six. Um, given their kind of stage of development, they were all able to kind of articulate and talk about what they liked. Um, you know, particular bits of the show that you if you think you think looking at Joe, he couldn't possibly have picked that up. Um, but like little details he he'd been aware of. Maisie the same, Jacob the same. So they were all able to kind of talk about the the program pretty much in the same amount of detail, yet what it looked like was that they were um they were kind of particularly Joe, but Jacob as well, didn't appear to be quite so focused. Um and I know it's completely anecdotal, um, but um it just kind of makes me think about again that kind of expectations that we have with children and um, expectations that we have um on um boys particularly to kind of sit be skilled and that and that's a precursor to being able to focus and concentrate when maybe we need to ask, is it? Um, does it matter kind of so much and like you're saying some of those expectations that we have that are put upon us and put upon children in school that this if you have this behaviour you'll be able to learn and take on learning and understand things um, isn't always the case so you know just kind of taking boys from where they are not from where we'd like them to be but also not expecting that all children will behave in a certain type of way as a precursor to focus and concentrating
0: yeah yeah Absolutely. I, I think also I mean, building on that, I think it, it, that we often, I think, give the impression that the challenge happens when children are still, yeah, when they're static. And the the nice things, the, the kind of entertaining things or kind of nice things that happen around the edges of it are the things that are more physical. But yeah. it's lovely to do the kind of the really kind of hands-on, playful learning, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. But where's the challenge happening? And the challenge is happening at the group table or it's happening at the carpet when the children are still. And in between those times, we'll let them kind of burn off some energy. And then when they're ready, when when we can, we'll bring them back for some more challenge. When actually you could certainly argue that that the more playful learning, the more hands-on learning could be more or can be more challenging than the than the more static, more adult-directed learning quite often.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the to the kind thing of there isn't a What we value, isn't it? Do we value more active learning or do we value the kind of learning that appears that kind of looks calmer and more sedentary and mm. um, it's a bit similar to that kind of conversation about indoors-outdoors learning and what, yeah. what we value and um, yeah. what we seem to value. Yeah,
0: yeah interesting stuff interesting stuff um thank you ever so much for for joining us for the podcast we probably better sort of tie it up there but but thank you it's been really really interesting to chat to you about thank you for inviting Um, me a good mixture of of kind of researchy bits anecdotal bits um total wipeout and theme (laughs) tunes and and all the rest of it (laughs) but yeah really (laughs) good. nobody was expecting total wipeout <laughs> Nobody was expecting that. Very good. All right. Nice to see you. Take, right, care. you too, Andy. Bye. Take care, Dominic. Take care. So there you go. Thank you very much to listening. I hope that you found our discussions useful. Now, if boys learning is high on your list of priorities at the moment, then we have a series of three webinars all about, well, all sorts of things, really. The national picture in, in relation to boys and girls learning, looking at the gender gap. We've also got um, within the three webinars, we're looking at research so key research around boys learning uh, and also we talk about some key advice really and explore key advice for practice as well. So if you want to know more, there's information on our website. We'll put a link in the podcast info so that you can can go straight to it and find out a bit more. All right. Thank you as always for listening. Uh, I hope you found it useful and uh, have a good week, everybody. We'll see you next week.